Let's uh, unite our hearts together in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the, the beauty of uh, this day. We thank you uh, for the, the sun that shines in our faces, for the warmth that we feel. We thank you for the majesty of uh, your creation that we see around us, a signpost that points us to the reality of the fact that there is a God uh, who is our creator, a God who made all things. We thank you that as we uh, seek you, Lord God, you have promised that we will find you. We thank you for your word, where we hear your voice. We thank you for uh, the word of God, where you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who inspired that word as it was written over many thousands of years. And we thank you that it has been preserved, it's been carried along. It's been carried to us even this morning. And we thank you for the promise that you've given to us that uh, your spirit will take the truth of Scripture and apply that truth to our lives. We thank you for Jesus, the supreme revelation of who you are. He is the, the image of the invisible God. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who spotlights Christ, who directs our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes to look to and trust in and worship Jesus. And we pray that you would help us this morning, that we would know the help of the Holy Spirit, so that as we hear the, the, the praises of God being sung, as we read Scripture and as we meditate upon it, we ask, Lord, that you would enable us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that we would be in the Spirit of worship, that we would not have minds and hearts that are distracted and far away, but, Lord God, that each of us would be worshipping in spirit and in truth, as it says uh, on the verse above my head, we would see uh, Jesus, the one who was and who is, and who is to come. So be lifted up, Lord Jesus, amongst us this day, we pray, because we know that when you are lifted up, uh, many are drawn uh, to you. And so we ask, Lord, for each one who's here and each one who may be watching and listening at a distance. You are the God who knows our hearts and for those who do not yet know Christ, we pray that you would be opening eyes and stirring hearts, that people may see and hear and be drawn to, to taste and see that God is good, to, that people will be drawn to put their faith in Christ as their Savior. And for Lord, those who are your people, we ask that you would minister to us, that you would sanctify us, make us more like Christ. We pray that you would encourage us, that you would direct us, that you would guide us, Lord, that you would correct us if we are off track, that we may be enabled to be disciples of Jesus, those who are following Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you, you call us to follow you. We thank you that you call us to, to confess that our, our, our faith is in you. And we think especially of Ian Davidson this week. We thank you uh, for the profession of faith that he made. We thank you that he stood up and said that he is not ashamed to to say that Jesus is his Lord, and we pray your blessing upon him and Shona, that they may know your presence, your peace. Lord God, that you may uh, bless them and, and use them both to bring glory to your name. We thank you for the, the good news as well of uh, Joseph John, who was born on Friday. We thank you for Iona uh, being well uh, through the delivery and today, and we pray your blessing on her and Andrew and Joseph. We thank you for them as a family. We thank you, Lord, that as we have prayed, you have heard our prayers and you have answered and brought this uh, great blessing uh, to them and 
to us as a congregation and a community. And we pray that they may know uh, powerfully your presence with them. We thank you that in a world uh, that sometimes seems scary and unpredictable, uh, we can look to the God who is sovereign over all things, who is always working, uh, who brings uh, good to his people and glory uh, to his name. So, Lord, we thank you for the evidence of that. And we pray uh, that uh, the whole family, the wider family as well, would know uh, your hand upon them for good at uh, this time. We ask, Lord, that you would be with the young people who are with us. We thank you for them. And we ask that uh, they would uh, grow up to know you and trust you. Pray for the Sunday school uh, who will listen to the, the lesson, some at home and some here in the church building. Bless those who teach them as well. We pray for the YF who meet on on Zoom and uh, who are ministered to through Scripture Union and other uh, means. And we pray, Lord, that they uh, would come to you and that we would encourage them to come to you. We think of the disciples who at one point uh, held the young ones back. May we never do that, but may they uh, be brought close to Jesus. May they trust in Christ uh, all the days of their lives. We pray for uh, the old people as well in the congregation and community, those who may be feeling the uh, the aches and pains of uh, the increasing years, those who may have been isolated for a period uh, through this last difficult year, and we pray uh, that you would bless them in their homes, uh, bless any who may be uh, with us also. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, uh, you would minister uh, to each one. We thank you that you are the God who is with us always and promises never to leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for your protection over us uh, over this last year uh, as uh, we've lived through what we could never have imagined a pandemic uh, we thank you for your protection lord we thank you for those that you have uh, used also to protect us and to care for us doctors and nurses and uh, paramedics and carers and those in the emergency services we thank you for those who have served us and uh, helped us to be to be healthy and fed and uh, cared for through this last year. We pray your blessing on each one. And as things begin to open up a bit now, we pray for wisdom. We pray for your ongoing protection uh, over us at this time. We think of countries as well uh, that uh, don't know stability and don't know uh, good health across the nation at this time. We think of India especially, uh, where there is such uh, devastation through COVID at this time. And we ask, Lord, that you would show mercy to that nation. And we pray for that nation that has, uh, through government so deliberately, uh, stepped away from Jesus at this time. We ask, Lord, that in this uh, difficult period, uh, that they would repent and look to Christ once more. So hear our prayers. Uh, bless this uh, time we have together. Be amongst us, we pray. Take away our sin. Uh, help us to focus uh, on Christ. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are good and you are perfect. We thank you that your love for us is uh, so deep and so strong. We thank you for the cross that Jesus went to, to die to pay for our sins. And we thank you for the fact that he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And we thank you that we can sing as we sometimes do because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And we thank you even as we think about uh, little Joseph John that we're looking forward to meeting. We thank you that we can say as we 
uh, hold a baby in our arms. Uh, it's because Jesus lives that we can face tomorrow. It's because Jesus lives that all fear is gone. We thank you that he is the one who holds the future. And we thank you that he is the one who calls us to trust in him. So Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that we would each know you and know uh, your power and your joy and your peace and your everlasting life in us. We thank you uh, for those who are sad even, even today, because we're always aware that there are people whose hearts are sore. As we think about uh, loved ones who have gone from this world into eternity, we thank you uh, that uh, when we're trusting in Jesus, he gives everlasting life, resurrection life. And so we pray for those uh, whose hearts are sore, that you would comfort them, uh, that they would know the hope that Jesus brings. So hear our prayers and be with the boys and girls now as they go to Sunday school. May they know that you are close to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can turn in our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. And we will read from verse 10 uh, to verse uh, 26 of the chapter. We saw last uh, Sunday how uh, Jesus sent out the twelve to to serve him, to minister in his name. And uh, now he brings them back in. Uh, They return to him. So Luke chapter 9 and verse uh, 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants his life, whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Amen. And may God bless that reading of uh, his word uh, to us. We'll pray just for a moment as we turn back to the scriptures. 
Heavenly Father, we, we pray once more uh, that we would know the help of the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to understand. And Lord, that you may be ministering to our hearts uh, in this time. Uh, help us as we pray to see Jesus. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray for the congregations around us in this place. We pray for uh, the congregations across the nation and across all nations, those who meet in safety uh, and freedom, and those who meet uh, under uh, the under secret, uh, under the cloak of darkness even, uh, those who cannot uh, meet above ground but who have to go underground to, to, to open your word and to profess Christ. We pray uh, for them as we pray for ourselves, and we ask that on this day, uh, you would minister to your people, that you would build uh, your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could have uh, the passage open in front of you, please, that would be helpful. I have to watch. This clock is slightly slow. I think it was on Tuesday morning uh, that I was beginning to look at uh, this passage. And um, on Tuesday morning, uh, as the girls were heading out the door to school, uh, Grace and Lois had gone out first. Uh, and uh, they were in the car waiting increasingly impatiently. Anna was a minute or two behind. And eventually when she came uh, into the car, uh, Grace kind of snapped her and said, where's your jacket? And Lois retorted by saying, she doesn't need a jacket, the sun's shining. And Grace said, but what if it starts raining? She's thinking about what's up ahead uh, and the need to be prepared. And it's a sensible enough uh, way to think, I suppose, before we head out, whether it's to school uh, or on a walk. Uh, on a hill trek of some kind. It's good to be uh, prepared because if we're heading out onto rough ground, we need to have uh, the right boots on. If we're heading off into rough weather, we need to uh, have the right clothes to protect ourselves. It's a good idea, it's a sensible thing, uh, to think about what's up ahead so that we can be prepared uh, for it. And in the Gospels, and in Luke's Gospel in particular, that we're looking at uh, uh, just now, we, we, we see Jesus... Uh, we see the disciples who are following Jesus, and we get uh, an insight into what it looks like uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. We get uh, insight into what we can expect to encounter, what might be up ahead if we're following Jesus. And that's what I want to think about uh, today in the time that we have. I want to think about what we can expect to encounter in our lives if we are disciples of Jesus, or even if we're thinking about the call that we're starting to hear to become disciples of, of Jesus. Uh, what is it that we can expect? What is it that we're called to if we respond to this call to be followers, disciples of Jesus? Well, there's three things, uh, hopefully, in the time that we have. The first thing that we can expect is we can expect to be challenged. We shouldn't expect a comfortable, safe, predictable life but we should expect to be challenged. The second thing uh, is we should expect, uh, uh, we, we should know that we're called uh, not to be silent, uh, not to be secret believers, uh, but we're to confess Christ. So firstly, we're to be challenged. We can expect to be challenged. Secondly, we can expect uh, to, to have to confess Christ, not to sit quietly, uh, not to, to keep our heads down, but we're, we're, to, we're called to confess Christ. And the final thing, uh, is we're called as disciples of Jesus to be cross carriers. So that's the, the structure, hopefully, uh, that we'll get through in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So the first thing we can expect if we're following Jesus is we can expect to be challenged. Mary's dad was given a, a jigsaw um, at Christmas time. 
And it wasn't one of these uh, jigsaws that comes off the shelf that's kind of, you know, easy to put together. It was a jigsaw that was a, it was a family photograph that had been turned into a thousand-piece jigsaw. And the problem with that was that the, the family were just clustered together in this one area, and the rest of the picture uh, was all sky and sea. So 75% of the picture was the same shade. And it just about drove poor Lachie demented trying to put the thing together. He managed eventually, I think it probably got launched off the table once or twice. He managed eventually, but it was a challenge. Now if we look at verses 10 to to verse 17 here, uh, what challenge did Jesus set for the disciples? Well, he challenged them to to feed 5,000 men plus women plus children. The scholars think that there was probably about uh, 15,000 people uh, gathered around Jesus at this point. So let's look at these verses, verse uh, 10. Uh, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him. Remember the definition of what a disciple is? It's somebody who's with Jesus. He sends them out in his name, and then he brings them back in to be with him. He took them to be, then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who who needed healing. And again, we see the compassion of Jesus here. Uh, He is constantly on the move. He is constantly in demand. He must have been constantly exhausted in his physical humanity. And yet he never drives anyone away. Uh, he, He receives them. He welcomes them as they come to him. He ministers to them for the whole day. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Now we might just pause and ask the question, well, why did the disciples speak this way? Why did the disciples say to Jesus, send the crowds away? And some commentators are are quite hard on the disciples at this point and they say, that's just typical disciples. They're always sending people away. They're telling the children to to, to go away. Uh, They're sending the crowds away. They just can't be bothered with the crowds. That's why they're sending them away. But that may be possible. Might have been what's going through some of the disciples' minds. But uh, I think I'd rather give them the the benefit of the doubt here. This is a remote place that Jesus is in. There's 15,000 people around him. They have no food. There is no local shop. There is no uh, cafe on the main street. And the disciples can see uh, that the crowds, uh, they're hungry, they have needs. And the disciples look at themselves and they realize that they can't meet the needs of the crowd. And so they say to Jesus, send the crowds away. We can't do anything for them. And it's at that point that Jesus sets the challenge. don't know if you've ever had uh, people uh, visit you, you know, unexpectedly. And it's dinner time. And you've got the dinner prepared and... Uh, you, you know what you're doing for dinner, but somebody's arrived about half past five and it's quarter to six and it's six o'clock and they're, they're showing no signs of going. And there's four of them or five of them and you're starting to panic and you're thinking, what on earth am I going to give them? It's a challenge. Well, think about the disciples. They're surrounded by 15,000 people. It's dinner time. And then Jesus springs this challenge on the disciples and he says to them, you see the crowds? Yes, they're hungry. You give them something to eat. And the disciples answered, verse 14, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. That was the disciples' polite way of saying, Jesus, what you're asking is impossible. 
This is an impossible challenge you're setting for us. But Jesus says to his disciples, verse 15, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now at this point, the disciples could have said, well, Jesus, we, we just can't do this. If we tell the crowds to sit down in, in, in groups of 50, uh, they're going to expect to be fed. And we don't have anything to give them. And if we set them down in groups of 50 uh, and they're expecting to be fed and we don't have anything for them, they're going to get annoyed. We're going to look like idiots. We're not doing it. They could have said that, but they don't respond to Jesus that way. They, they simply obey Jesus. I'm quite sure they couldn't figure out what on earth was going to happen next as they look at their five loaves and two fish. But they simply obey Jesus. The disciples, verse 15, did so. They did what Jesus asked them. And everybody sat down. Verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So what happened here? Well, what happened here very uh, clearly was another miracle. Jesus has been miracle after miracle. And this was another uh, miracle of, of, of huge scale. The reason that Jesus wanted the crowds to sit in an orderly way was so that when he stood up and prayed, looking up to heaven, the crowds who were looking in an orderly way would realize that as Jesus prayed and looked to heaven, this is where the blessings were coming from. The food that they were about to enjoy, they needed to be able to see and understand this was coming from heaven. And as the food began to be served, it wasn't kind of frugal, stingy portions, but it was satisfying portions. They all ate and were satisfied, verse 17. And there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers, which just demonstrate the fact that there were uh, limitless resources when Jesus was involved. So the challenge that Jesus set for his disciples, it looked impossible. It was impossible for them. But as they trusted in Jesus, he made what was impossible possible. Now, what can we expect today if we are disciples of Jesus? Well, we can expect to be challenged. If we don't know what it is to be challenged, we probably aren't disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus can expect from time to time uh, to be uh, looking at situations and saying to Jesus, this is impossible. I can't do this. And yet it's when we admit in the face of an impossible challenge that we can't do it, that we're going to do what Jesus is asking anyway, that he's actually able to work through us. Jesus said to the disciples back on that day, uh, as they looked at this needy, hungry crowd, you give them something to eat. And today, as we think about how this translates, if we have eyes that are spiritual in any way, uh, we look around us in this world, in this country, in this community, and we see massive spiritual need and hunger. And perhaps we say things like, well, if only the faith mission would come back and have a tent mission. Or if only God would raise up another Dunkel Campbell uh, so there could be a, another kind of re revival situation, then the crowds of Lewis and Harris would be, would be uh, reached and saved and satisfied. Maybe that's what, would, what it would take. And I wonder what Jesus is saying to us today. And I think perhaps he is saying to those who are Christians, uh, you give them something to eat. I want you, Christians, disciples, to tell people about me. Milne, the commentator, says Jesus is himself the bread that God supplies to feed this world's spiritual hunger. He gives life to the world by sacrificing his own life, 
those who turn to him will receive his gift of new life. So if we are those who are Christians, if we are disciples, if we have been satisfied by Jesus, saved by Jesus, and if we want to to give the people around us who are lost uh, something, someone, the only one who can satisfy their souls, then we need to tell them about Jesus. Not about church, but about Jesus. That's the challenge that Jesus sets for us. And you might respond by saying, well, I haven't been to theological college. Well, neither had the disciples. Or you might say, well, I have so, I have so little to, to, to give. Well, think about what the disciples had. Five small rows and two fish. You might say, well, if I speak about Jesus, people might laugh at me. Or they might get angry at me. And the disciples could have said every one of these things. But they didn't. Even though they couldn't see how 5,000 men could be fed. Even though it looked absolutely impossible to them. When they responded in obedience and faith to Jesus' challenge, he used them and he used the little that they had to do more than they could ever have imagined. What would God do in Tarbert if every Christian, every believer, every disciple went out this week and stopped talking about the weather and started talking about Jesus? What would that look like, I wonder? Wearsby. Uh, says Jesus through this challenge taught the twelve an important lesson for their future work no situation is impossible if you take what you have give it to God with thanksgiving and share it with others McKinley says Jesus surely could have fed the crowd by himself but in his kindness he involved the disciples in the work and as a result they got the joy of service and a lesson about Jesus' power If you and I want a lesson in Jesus' power and the joy of service, then we we should start speaking to people about him. He doesn't need us, but he gives us the privilege of being used if we are willing. So the challenge, we can expect if we are disciples of Jesus to be challenged. The second thing we can expect, uh, uh, the second thing we are called to is we're called to confess Jesus. Now when something happens in a small place, we know uh, very well that uh, news travels fast. We know how the jungle drums begin to sound. Uh, we know how one person uh, says to another person, and there's this huge chain reaction. Have you heard the news? Now, can you imagine if you think back into this culture that we're reading about in, in uh, Luke chapter 9? Can you imagine the chat in that countryside? Imagine how the people were talking uh, in all these villages that Jesus was visiting. Uh, so many people had been healed miraculously. Uh, troubled souls like Legion, who terrorized villages, uh, were now at peace to a word of Christ. Tens of thousands of people uh, were gathering for whole days to listen to sermons. And now 5,000 men and their wives and their families had been fed and satisfied with uh, uh, two loaves of, uh, five uh, loaves of bread and two small fish. That's what was going on. And so it's no wonder that uh, Everyone was talking about Jesus, about who he was and, and what he was doing. So let's, let's look again at uh, the verses here, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who did the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back uh, to life. That's what the crowds were saying. So let's think for a moment about what the crowds were saying about Jesus. Well, some were saying that he was John the Baptist. 
And we should know, as we think about that, that that was designed to be a huge compliment. The crowds were not speaking against Jesus. They weren't being critical of him. Uh, They were trying to say good things about him. Uh, John the Baptist uh, was held in high esteem by the Jewish crowds. Uh, John was a fellow Jew who preached with great courage. He he was a man who was brave enough to stand up against uh, the, the deceitful Herod. He was a man of integrity. A man who was willing to live for and die for his convictions. Uh, So when the crowd said uh, that Jesus, maybe he's John the Baptist, they were trying to compliment Jesus, but they just weren't going far enough. They didn't have it quite right. Others were saying that Jesus uh, was Elijah, and again, this was designed to be a compliment towards Jesus. The Jewish people uh, were looking for Elijah to come to prepare the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. And so as they watched Jesus and as they listened to Jesus, uh, they were so impressed by what he said and what he did uh, that they thought this might be the one who comes just before the Messiah. This might be Elijah. So again, they were speaking highly of Christ, but they just weren't going high enough. And still others said that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And again, this was meant to, to show respect to Jesus and compliment Jesus. They were thinking about Moses. They were thinking about Isaiah. They were thinking about Jeremiah, these great prophets of old. And they were saying, Jesus fits in this category. He must be one of them. So the crowds, when they chatted about Jesus, they they were saying positive things. But they just weren't saying enough. They, They hadn't quite got it. And so Jesus turns to the disciples, verse 20. And he says, but what about you? Plural, you. What about, and Harris would probably say, what about yous? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. What did Peter mean by saying that? Well, he meant uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was going further than all the crowds. Peter was saying, uh, you're not John the Baptist. You're not Elijah. You're not one who's preparing the way for the Messiah. Uh, You're not a prophet, uh, one who's pointing towards the Messiah. Uh, You are the Messiah, Jesus. You are the Savior. Peter confesses his faith in Christ. And that's what Peter makes Peter stand out from the crowd. That's what indicates that he is a disciple of Jesus. Now today, all these years later, people are still talking constantly about Jesus. And they're actually saying the same kinds of things. You won't have to listen for long to hear somebody uh, say that Jesus was a, was a man of integrity. That he was a, a man who was not afraid to speak the truth to powerful people. People will say that Jesus was an an excellent moral prophet. Uh, People will say that Jesus was a kind uh, and loving man. And all that's true. It's just not enough. Jesus was and he is more than all these things. He was and he is the Christ of God. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the the Son of God. And unless we believe that, uh, we can't be saved. You know, we can do uh, masses of good works and help everybody in a community. But unless we see and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, we can't be saved. We can attend dozens of religious services and have a form of godliness about us. And yet, if we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ of God, we can't be saved. And until we confess that he is the Christ of God, then we cannot be seen and heard to be his disciples so the the question jesus asked of his disciples back then he asks of us today he says who do you say that i am and the answer to that question will determine uh, the course of our lives in this world 
And what we consider to be priorities, what we consider to be the important things, it will determine how we live. It did for Peter. And the answer to that question will determine uh, where we spend eternity, whether we are with Jesus in heaven or apart from Jesus in hell. William Barclay said it's never enough to know what other people have said about Jesus. Jesus must always be our own personal discovery. And I said earlier, one of the, the huge encouragements of last week uh, was to hear Ian responding uh, to the question that I put to him. Do you confess Christ as your Savior and your Lord? I cannot tell you how much encouragement there is to hear uh, that, that strong response. I do. It's a huge encouragement to so many. But it might be a challenge to some as you consider your response to Jesus' question. What about you? Who do you say, says Jesus, that I am? As disciples of Christ, we're called to be challenged. We live a life uh, where we are challenged. We're called uh, to confess Christ. And finally, and very, very briefly, we're called to be cross carriers. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them to tell this to, to, not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Milne, the commentator, says uh, more briefly than I can say probably, the reason for this strange demand not to tell is immediately clear. Jesus is not going to fulfill popular expectations of the Messiah by pleasing the people and placating their leaders. Instead, he will take the lonely path of suffering, rejection, and death. And that's what Jesus shares the second that Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, Jesus says, that's right, Peter. Now let me tell you what that means. doesn't mean that I'm a celebrity. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be taken into a political high office. It's not what I came to do. Jesus shares with his disciples the second uh, they get his identity as Messiah, uh, he shares with them that his mission would be to suffer and to be rejected by all the greatest theologians of that day. His mission would be death, and then resurrection. And then he shares the, the mission of the disciples with them. He said to them all, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You want to know what it looks like to be following the Messiah, says Jesus? This is what it looks like. You're to be a cross carrier. Now what does that mean? What did it mean for uh, the, the disciples to have to take up their cross. Well, clearly, it, it, means, it means something different uh, than, than what it meant for Jesus. You know, clearly, uh, our taking up the cross is different to Jesus taking up his cross. Jesus uh, took up his cross. He was crucified to save us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what Peter says. He took the, the curse of sin uh, from us and for us so that we could be saved. And only he could do that. Uh, as we sing in the hymn, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Jesus had to go to the cross so that we could be saved. We don't go to the cross to kill sin, but we are called to take up the cross to kill self, that deep, ugly self that lives within us. To take up our cross means to deny, to starve self, which is totally counter to our culture. We're told, be yourself, please yourself, indulge yourself. Jesus says, no, no, deny yourself. 
Don't feed yourself, starve him. And to follow Jesus, we need to deny self. We can't follow self and follow Christ. And so Jesus teaches the disciples, uh, to, to follow me, you actually need to be willing to suffer. Self needs to be willing to suffer for my sake, just as I am willing to suffer for yours. Barclay says, to take up our cross means to be ready to endure the worst that man can do to us for the sake of being true to Jesus. Now, we don't know a whole lot about that, what that actually means. Uh, for those who were at the prayer meeting two Wednesdays ago, uh, we heard a story about a, a lady called Curti. She lost her husband. She lost her home. She was driven out of her village. She was despised uh, by her own people because she followed Jesus. The cross that she was called to carry uh, was a heavy one, but she carried it. We are to say salvation is God's gift to us because he died on the cross. Discipleship is our gift to him as we take up our cross, die to self, and follow the Lord in everything. Everything. I know the ongoing nature of this. It's not that we come to a sort of moment in time, we decide uh, in a split moment to deny self, follow Jesus, and that's it. We're now on this higher level, this higher plane of spirituality. No, that's, that's not what's being taught here. To deny self is not some kind of elite level Christianity for the super holy. This is normal. This is what genuine, true Christianity looks like. This is real life discipleship. You cannot be a Christian and avoid this. You and I are to take up the cross daily. We're to deny self daily. We're to follow Jesus uh, daily. This is the, the daily discipline of the disciple of Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? And these last two verses are just another way of Jesus saying what he's already said. He takes the truth of the last uh, section and he puts it in accounting terms. He puts it in profit and loss language. But the message is the same. Jesus says to, to them, he says to us, make your choice. Make your choice. Deny self. Be willing to suffer for a while for my sake and then live forever or deny Jesus. Please yourself. Pander yourself. Indulge yourself for a while for the, the short mist vapor that, that, that life is and then die forever. That's a choice. Start. Deny self. Suffer for a while and live forever with Jesus or deny Jesus. Please yourself for a while and die forever apart from Christ. If anyone, verse 26, is ashamed of me, says Jesus, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, how we respond on this day will determine what happens on that day when Jesus comes. And he is coming, so we need to be ready. So let me encourage all of us uh, to respond with Isaac Watts by saying, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Jesus, my God, I know his name. His name is all my trust, nor will he put my soul to shame, nor let my hope be lost. That's the song. That's the, the prayer of a disciple of Jesus. So can we sing it? 
can we put our amen to? Heavenly Father, we, we do pray uh, that as we sing or as we hear this last uh, hymn being sung, that you would be moving in our hearts in the power of your Spirit. We pray that none of us, as we reflect on the challenge that Jesus sets, we pray that none of us uh, would be ashamed of Jesus, that none of us would be resistant to Jesus, but we ask that each of us would be trusting in him and saying with the hymn writer, I am not ashamed to own my Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen.